0: wonderful thing to know that God is that way maker and he is always working throughout our lives. This morning uh, we are speaking about resurrection again. About two weeks ago I said we're kind of going to look at resurrection for two weeks in a row or two time messages in a row and so then we looked at why the resurrection or what's the big deal about the resurrection? We talked about the resurrection of Christ. And this morning, uh, we're going to continue to talk about resurrection, but we're going to talk about our own resurrection. What our resurrection, um, what, you know, the, what's the big deal about our own resurrection? So I'm going to invite you to uh, take your copy of God's Word or follow along on the screen as we read. Um, we're going to kind of skip because it's a long, long chapter Uh, This is uh, chapter 15, it's the longest single chapter uh, focusing on the resurrection, goes 58 verses long. So we'll go, we'll kind of hit some high points here and there, but if you would please stand if you're physically able in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll begin in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then in verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Then down to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And then verses 55 to 58. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your words... As we study them, as we meditate upon them today, that they would sink deep into our hearts and they would cause us to change and to grow and to be more like Jesus. Bless now the reading and proclamation of your word, and may our spirits all be open to your spirit and your working within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. I'm going to ask you to do something different today, something unusual, and that is to consider your resurrection, to think about it, to remember it. So, most of us have, at least some point in our lives, thought about our death. Now, we don't like to think about that. If we did, those folks selling life insurance would have a much easier time, wouldn't they? People would just be lining up at the doors to sign up for it. But a lot of folks don't ever do that because they just don't want to think about death. And we, we are reminded when we lose someone. And often if I'm preaching a funeral, I'll say, you know, hey, guys, there is going to be a service one day for you just like this one. And, and we try to stop and think about our, our mortality, the fact that we will one day die. And then... We do often as well, I think, beyond probably more so than thinking about our death, we think about our eternal life. We think about the moment we enter into uh, God's presence. And we especially think about that for our loved ones when they go on. We take comfort in the fact that the Bible tells us absent from the body is present with the Lord, and so we we think about we envision our loved ones as they have left this life, and as they've gone on. We think about that moment when they see Jesus. We think about that moment when they see those who have gone on before, and we take great comfort and joy in that. And um, but we don't often think about the resurrection, which comes later on. It's just not something we talk about or think about a whole lot. Um, But today, I'm going to ask you to remember your resurrection, to think about it, to keep it in mind, because it is so important. It is so valuable. Um, Now, let me, I need to get a little participation here just to see where we are. First of all, this is just a, a test question, not a trick question. If you're here today, raise your hand. Okay, most of us are here. Good. All right, you put those down. Now, I want to ask you if you have ever really spent much of time at all thinking about your own resurrection, raise your hand. Okay, some of us, some of us have, some of us have. Yeah, it's just not something that a lot of us spend a whole, we think about, yeah, I'm going to die one day. We think about going into heaven, but... The resurrection, we think about Jesus' resurrection, obviously, because we come here every Sunday on the Lord's Day, the day that, that, that he came from the grave. And we think about Easter, so we think about Jesus' resurrection, but our own we don't think about enough, and we need to think about more. And so this morning I want to talk about these benefits, why we should think about the resurrection. The first reason is that the resurrection, remembering it, refocuses our eyes. It refocuses our vision and our outlook, okay? Any study of anything in the Christian life always comes back to Jesus, right? He's our example. He's our model. We're called Christians because we try to live like Christ. And so uh, we know from, from the Bible that our focus is supposed to be on Jesus. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith, and we hear about what Abraham and Isaac and all the great saints of, of the Old Testament, how they lived by faith, and, and then it gets into chapter 12, and the author of Hebrews talks about this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. It's, it's a vision of like, almost like a stadium. They've run their race, but now they're watching. They're urging us on. They're cheering us on. You know, we, we all come to that day that when... When we pass on and we're not in the race anymore, I was kind of reminded of that the other day when they had the NBA All-Star Game and, and Michael Jordan was there and he got a huge crowd. But guess what? He didn't get out and play in that All-Star Game because his time is over. He's just in the stands now. And, and, and one day, we'll be in the stands, but right now, those who've gone on before us, they're in that great cloud of witnesses. They are watching And the Bible tells us, so since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let's run the race. And it it says the words, keeping our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Or another translation, that's the way I learned it a long time ago. I read another translation that I really like that says the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's who Jesus is. He was the, the one who set it out for us, the faith we have. He's the pioneer, he's the trailblazer, and so we keep our eyes on him and we follow him. And so that's normal in everything that we should look to Jesus. But especially in this case, Because think about it, Jesus is the only one who's ever actually experienced the resurrection that we're going to experience. Now we know, somebody's going to say, what about Lazarus? I remember, Lazarus come forth, and yes, there was, Jesus raised Lazarus, and he raised some other folks. And there's a few instances in the Old Testament where people died and came back to life. But what they came back to was natural life, normal, physical life, not to eternal and everlasting life. You know, that'd be really cool if Lazarus was walking around, if he could do the Christian circle, the circuit, and go from church to church and tell us about that time Jesus resurrected him. But we don't get to hear from Lazarus because he came back to natural, ordinary life, and he got old, and he got sick, and he passed away, just like we're all going to do one day. But there's only been one person in all of history that's experienced the kind of resurrection that we're going to experience, and that's Jesus himself. And and I don't know if you caught it as we were reading these verses, but um, he was described as the first fruits, the first fruits from the dead. Now, I think I've mentioned this maybe a time or two, but if you weren't here on that Uh, On that Sunday, as I talked about First Fruits, let's just do a little review. First Fruits is an Old Testament concept that has to do with the harvest. Remember back in the day when when God told the ancient Israelites to bring their tithe? uh, They weren't bringing, you know, Benjamins. They weren't bringing out bills or checks. Their tithe was literally a tenth of the harvest, of their of their grain of their fruits of their you know whatever that they had had, that was their tithe, okay, and in the Old Testament, when they were to bring their tithe, there was this this concept called the first fruits, and what that meant is when the harvest began all this time, they had cultivated the land, they had planted, they'd watered, they'd done everything they needed to do, and finally the harvest came in, and it had been real easy for them when that harvest came in to say thank you, God, and we're going to keep saving up and storing up. And God, when it gets to the end of the season, when it gets to the end of the harvest, Lord, whatever's left over, we promise we're going to bring it and we're going to sacrifice it to you. But see, that wouldn't require any faith. It would just require, oh, we have a little extra. God, here's your tip for being our God. Here's your tip for being so kind to us. But God said, no, the way that you demonstrate your faith to me is that first crop comes in, that first bit of the harvest, and you hadn't had any fresh food for a year. You've been going off of your storehouses, and you're tempted to keep it all for yourself. What you do to demonstrate your faith in me that I will provide for you is that you take a portion of that very first, and it's an act of faith, not knowing what tomorrow's gonna bring. A swarm of locusts may come in, a drought may come in. We don't know, but we're trusting God, and in faith, We're going to give him that first fruits offering. And so that was a big, big thing in the Old Testament. And it talked about it's it's really a valid principle for all of us today of trusting God with our giving. Well, here, the first fruits concept is used just a little bit differently because Christ is the first fruit of resurrection, He's that special portion at the very beginning. And he is there as an example for us. He is there to show us that we can trust and we can believe that one day we're going to be resurrected. One day we're going to be fully changed and be like Jesus completely. And so we can't look to Lazarus. We can't look to any, some of, us, some of us have read stories about people who, oh, they went into a vision or I know somebody who was gone for 11 minutes and they're, they're supposed to be gone, but then they were resuscitated and came back. I mean, we all know about things like this, but none of those things, even someone like Lazarus can't tell us. We have to look to Jesus and to how he lived and what he did. And I tell you, when, you, when I think about that, i get pretty excited you know some of you were running late for church this morning some of you are scrambling out the door and you know you know probably down to the second some of y'all are like look it takes 15 minutes and 32 seconds to get here and, and we we got to get out of the door now but i remember jesus after the resurrection what did he do he just appeared wouldn't that be great if he just appeared Uh, Now, that really wouldn't help me. I mean, I live so close to the church, and you know what I do? I wait till it's two minutes to time, and then I come. I mean, it wouldn't matter how, how close I was, but Jesus just appeared, and he could disappear. Jesus was able to walk through walls. Jesus was able, when his time came, he was able to ascend into the clouds. He had all these things, these abilities, these supernatural things that were amazing. His resurrection body tells us that these new bodies, they're going to be very, very different. And you know what's super cool about all that is that Jesus did all that supernatural stuff. But when it came for him to have a little fish fryer with the disciples, he was able to do that, too. You know, there's that story in there. They went fishing, and it wasn't fried. It was actually over the flame. Jesus was a cook. And in case you didn't know that, he cooked up those fish, and they had some fresh fish. And I'm so glad that I think we won't have to eat in heaven, but we're going to get to eat in heaven. And I'm so proud about that. But there are so many cool things about when we think about our resurrection, because Jesus is our example By thinking about our resurrection, we inevitably think about Jesus. We inevitably retrain our eyes. We inevitably recalibrate back to where we're supposed to be. And we've talked about this before. We go where our eyes go. It's why whenever we're getting real comfortable with someone on a road trip and they're sitting over there in the passenger seat and you lean over and kind of talk and all of a sudden that rumble strip just interrupts your conversation because as you have turned over, somehow you've gone over because when our eyes veer, our direction veers. We, when our eyes wander, our direction wanders. And so we, when we think about the resurrection, it gets us back to looking at Jesus, and it gets us retrained, refocused, recalibrated where we need to be on Jesus. Secondly, it reboots our hope. As we picture our resurrection, we reboot, we renew, we refresh our hope. This change, the Bible says, uh, of resurrection, it takes place in an instant. It says, in, the, in a flash in a twinkling of an eye. And that's amazing because we don't have really much in the way of instantaneous changes in our lives today. We know changes are, are, are hard and they take time. I mean, even when it's You're trying to change and become a better person and you ask God for his grace and and over time as you receive God's grace and as you follow his word his spirit works and and we change and we grow and we become more like Jesus but generally speaking you know we don't go from oh this person this one day I'm far away from the Lord and this next day boom all of a sudden I've had this massive amount of of change and growth so we're not used to that now occasionally people are instantly delivered from something. I'm always happy when I hear that happening for someone. Someone is instantly delivered of of an addiction or a sin and praise God when they are. But generally speaking, many times we will struggle over time and God will give us strength and and we'll get there. But this is an instantaneous thing. It's kind of hard for us to think about uh, instantaneous changes, but... I tell you one one picture I have comes from a movie. It's it's the Captain America movie, the one that came out a few years ago. There's been two or three of them, but but there's the first one there. And uh, Steve Rogers is this kid's name. And I'm telling you, poor old Steve. This was this was kind of like back in World War II days. And I mean, he was. I think the 97 pound uh, wimps on the beach probably beat him up. I mean, he was so skinny. He was thin. He was skin and bones. Uh, he was. He he pasty white. I mean, he just, but he had this great heart and he wanted to help. and, And so somehow, I won't go into all of it, but he gets to be the one who gets the super soldier serum, okay? And so he goes into this chamber with Tony Stark and all these other scientists all around. And there he is, like I said, skinny and weak and puny and pale. And that machine turns on and all sorts of crazy electrical things start happening. And he comes out and he's taller and he's broader. And his bare chest is tan and glistening. I didn't know Super Soldier Serum could give you a tan, but apparently it can because he's coming out all tanned and all big. I mean, it was an instant transformation. I'll never forget the first time, not the first time I watched the movie, but the first time I watched that movie with my daughter, Marin, because Marin's eyes were glued to that TV. I think as a young preteen, it was her first taste of love. I mean, she was like, oh my. You know, and uh, it was just, wow, she was just struck by that transformation, you know. It was a great, tra- in fact, I had to tell Landon when he came to ask for her hand, I said, sure, but you remember Steve Rogers, Captain America, he's always going to be her first love, you know, and Spider-Man came after Tom Holland, and, and now she's going to be with, with Landon. But, you know, that crazy transformation, it's a total change, an instant change and the Bible's telling us that we're gonna get a change that's even greater than that crazy change we saw on the movie screen. Listen to this, think about this. Verses 42 to 44 tell us four instantaneous changes that happen in the moment of resurrection from perishable to imperishable. Okay, we, we really use you know, the word perishable when it comes to food, right? uh we we talk about get some non-perishable goods some non-perishable foods and bring them in for this collection and we'll help some folks out because we know if we throw a banana in the bag it's not going to be too good for that person that opens it up we want something canned that's going to last a while but even though we call it non-perishable we know it really is I mean if you put some in a time capsule and then and you know and uh 20, what would that be, 2032 or 2042 or fifty-two. if you put it in there for 100 years and someone pulled it out, it's perishable. I guarantee when they taste it, it would not be good. But this says we go from perishable to imperishable. In other words, we go from mortal to immortal. We go to a completely different uh, train of existence, plane of existence. It secondly says from dishonor to glory from dishonor to glory. You know, dying, is a, it, it, it's a humiliating thing that what happens to our body is it sickens and weakens and goes down. It happens to everybody. It's, it's not dishonorable in the sense to a person because we, we all th- go through it, but it's, it's dishonorable to humans in general. It's, but we go to a glorious body. It says from weakness to power. How, many, how often do we struggle with our own limitations, our own weaknesses, our own shortcomings, and we wish, I wish I had was able to do something about that. I, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish, I wish I would, because we are constantly smacked in the face with our limitations, with the things that we can't do or sometimes the things we used to could do but can't do anymore, things that are out of our control. But here he says, you're going to go from weakness to power. There is an, a, a sense of ability that we will experience with the resurrected body that, that'll make, it'll be just night and day difference with what we have now. And then finally, he says, from natural to spiritual. In other words, from normal bodies, natural bodies to supernatural bodies. Now, can we all re- fully and completely conceive of this? I think we can only get bits of it because our ideas are so wrapped around when we talk about a body, We naturally think a normal, natural, physical body. And then we think, well, here's bodies. And then supernatural, we think spirit. But God in His Word says it's going to be a body but not just a spirit, it's gonna be a supernatural body. It's something that we almost cannot conceive of, but that our bodies are still bodies. They allow us to physically do things just like Jesus was able to sit there and enjoy that fish with his disciples. And yet his body, that resurrected body, was able to do things that a normal physical body couldn't imagine. And so when we think about this, we realize, hey, there's hope. We realize that good things are ahead. We realize that even in our world, where we're, we we in we battle with disease and with war and with economic hardship and with all sorts of tough things around us, and even in our own lives, as we see things that we've people we've lost or things we've lost or abilities we've lost, and and so many things start to look like they're going downhill but we know there is something great ahead. And we're reminded that there's a day which we won't just be restored to our best day on earth. There'll be a day which we're far better than our best day on earth could have ever begin. I mean, I don't know that there's such thing as a worst day in heaven, but if if there is one, your worst day in heaven would be better than your best day on this earth. And that is an amazing sense of encouragement and hope to look forward to. While we remember our resurrection, third and finally, it reignites our motivation. It reignites our motivation. We end up often, um, if we're not thinking about eternity, if we're not thinking about what, what's really going to happen, that we can be very short-sighted. We can get in this thing where, hey, I'm just here for a little while and that's it, you know. Paul said some people get into this eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. In other words... Be as crazy, be as stupid, be as reckless as you can, because it all doesn't really matter much. It's all about to be over. That's folks who don't understand and don't come to grips with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when we get this, we don't have that attitude. You know, all of us at times need a little fire lit under us. Even the most motivated, even the most committed, even the most faithful, sometimes our faith, sometimes our motivation flags, and we get we just kind of slow down. We kind of get stuck in the mire. You know that parable of the soils where there's a seed planted, but then sometimes some, some weeds come up and grow around it and kind of choke on it. We, we all struggle with the weeds of life that try to choke us out and, and hide us from what we're really supposed to be about. But when we Think about this. We get motivated to do what is right. Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary in doing good. Why not? Because there's something coming. The harvest is coming. The time is coming. The battle's already won. And we don't have to worry about, is this all going to really matter? I love that in this long, long 58-verse chapter, Paul ends all the great theology, all the great teaching, some really deep and meaningful and really heavy type stuff. He ends it with some very simple commands and simple words. He says, stand firm, do not be moved. And what does the Bible, the Bible tells us that over and over, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't get blown by the the, the waves of, of bad doctrine, of junk that comes in this world, but stand firm. And how do we do this? He says, because you know your work for the Lord is not in vain. You know it's not in vain. Because if all we had to worry about was this life, Paul said we'd be some pitiful, deluded folks if we were just doing this for this life. He said, and then all of a sudden we wake up in eternity and or maybe we never wake up in eternity, or we wake up and we miss the way. He said, but, but Jesus has risen, and we will enter eternity, and we will be resurrected. We will experience this. And so nothing that you do in this life will put you in vain. It, it, it won't be worthless. It'll all matter. There's things that you and I do. Sometimes we think, does it really matter? Nobody noticed it. God noticed it. Does it really matter? I can't tell from one minute to the next if I'm making progress. God sees your faithfulness. He sees your labor. He will reward that. And what you do here, you and I do here and now in this life, is simply a prelude. It's simply an introductory chapter to how we will serve God in eternity. So right now, we are setting the pace Right now, we're setting the tone for eternity, for how we will spend it serving our Lord. And nothing that we do is in vain. We're all tempted to coast. I remember my parents' car growing up, a uh, Mercury Cougar, 1980. Now, Cougars, you know, they've made Cougars that were sleek and sporty. This was not that era of Cougar, okay? This was the boxy four-door Now, it was two-tone green, so that was kind of special. But uh, I remember when they got this, and I learned how to drive on on this Mercury, 1980 Mercury Cougar. And it had cruise control, and we were all excited because that was the first car we'd ever had that had cruise control. But there was a special button, and I think it made us think that we were saving big money. You could hit this button, and it said Coast. And when you hit this button and say, Coast, you held it down, your engine wasn't going, it wasn't using gas or not as much or whatever, and then you got to the bottom of the hill, you could let off, Coast, and you felt really good, like you'd saved some money. We get tempted to Coast sometimes as Christians. It's not that we repudiate our faith, it's not that we turn against the Lord or or go live wild, crazy lives, we just get comfortable we just get used to doing our thing, and we think, I can just coast. I can just save a little bit. But the reality is that, that our lives are not downhill. We have an upward calling. We have a high calling. We have a calling to keep on pressing on, to keep on looking at that, what Jesus Christ has put ahead of us. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. To remember something you've never been through before. That's your resurrection. How you remember it? You remember what God has promised in his word, which is the essence of all of our faith is that looking for what his God has promised and trusting and believing it. Remember your resurrection so you can keep your eyes on Jesus so your heart can be focused where it needs to be. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you, and we're so grateful and we're so thankful for all that you've done for us. God, we, we, all of us at times, we slack off. All of us at times drift back. All of us at times falter. But we, God, we thank you that you're a God of mercy and grace. And while Satan will attack us and accuse us, and while he will try to build shame in us, which will keep us further from you, Lord, you reach out to us, ready to grab and pull us up, just as Peter, when he took his eyes off you in that storm, when he sank and called out, you were there. And so, Father, help us to call out to you. If we've drifted, if we've coasted, if we've just gotten caught up in the weeds of this life, God, help us to remember our resurrection, to look forward to that glorious day which, in which we will be made like your son Jesus in his resurrection. God, we pray now that you'd help us, Lord, to always just keep that openness to you and your spirit. And whatever you're doing in our hearts right now, Lord, may we respond to you. God, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.